Good morning. Hope you're doing well this morning. For those of you I don't know, my name's Todd. I'm the pastor here, lead pastor here, and so glad that you have chosen to join with us this morning. Before we dive in, would you join me in a word of prayer? God, we uh, thank you for who you are and what you've done by redeeming mankind. And Father, today, um, as we kind of turn to week five in this series about heaven, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would lead us into all knowledge and understanding and wisdom. Holy Spirit, teach us what you want us to be taught today. And God, I pray that we would leave with a real sense of how worthy you are to receive all of our honor and our praise. And God, may those of us who call ourselves Christ followers begin to serve you and give you glory with everything that we do and everything that we say. Teach us now, lead us into wisdom and truth. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. A few years ago, I received an email, and this email had the epitaph of a lady who lived in the 1800s, and she had lived a very hard life during a particularly hard time in humanity. Her epitaph read like this, here lives a poor woman who always was tired, for she lived in a place where help wasn't hired. Her last words on earth were, dear friends, I'm going where washing ain't done, nor sweeping, nor sewing, and everything there is exact to my wishes, for there they don't eat, and there's no washing of dishes. Don't mourn for me now, don't mourn for me ever, for I'm going to do nothing forever and ever. <laughs> Some of you, when you hear that, are like, okay, if heaven is going to be me doing nothing forever and ever, all right. And others of you are like, no, that's the other place. There's no way that I'm going to heaven to just be bored. And it's interesting because I believe that in our society, because of our culture and maybe because of some of our religious upbringing and because of what we've heard or what we've been taught or what we've seen, we have this idea that when we go to heaven, if we do go to heaven, that we're just going to be existing in the clouds somewhere out there and that we're going to have a harp and that we, you know, we'll have wings and a halo and that we will just be kind of in this amoeba state when we get to heaven. I want you to hear something this morning. There is nothing that could be further from the truth than the fact that heaven will be boring. You see, when we decide that heaven is boring, what we do is we relegate God to a boring God, don't we? When we say that heaven is going to be a place where we do nothing and when there's just nothing going on, we're just going to kind of exist in this amoeba state, essentially what we're doing is we're taking that great creator of heaven and earth that we enjoy the beauty of his handiwork all around us and we say, nah, he's not that great. See, our God is a creative God, when we say that we will exist in heaven and it'll be boring, we take the fact that he was our, our creator, but also our savior, and we relegate him to just a simple helper. 
Our God is a great God, and because God's presence is in heaven, heaven will be a place beyond imagination. But it'll be a place that I can promise you one thing, it won't be boring. We have walked through several different myths over the past uh, few weeks, and uh, just by way of review in this series called Heaven Demystified, I just want to kind of review some of the myths that we've considered. And what we're doing in this series is we're taking common myths about heaven, and we're deciding to, to compare it according to Scripture, God's Word to mankind, and we're deciding whether those myths are either proven, whether they're plausible, or whether they're busted. And so we're taking what we hear, what may be logical, what may uh, be a kind of uh, conventional wisdom about heaven, and we're taking it and comparing it to the Word of God, which is a great place to start. It's the only place to start with any truth that we may hear from society. So we're taking that and we're comparing it to what God's Word says. In week one, we considered the myth, heaven is a real place. And according to Scripture, we can say that that myth is proven. Heaven is a very real place. John, the follower of Jesus, the apostle, John actually got a glimpse into heaven when uh, in, he wrote it in Revelation. He was actually the only one in the Bible who God gave a glimpse into heaven, and God said, I want you to write this down. And so what we have is the revelation of Jesus Christ, this picture of what it'll be like at the end times, this picture of what heaven will be like, the picture of what Jesus in all of his glory called the Lamb of God will be like. And so we have an understanding of what the picture of heaven is from the last couple chapters of Revelation. And we said that that is proven, that heaven is a real place. In week two, we considered the myth, good people go to heaven. Makes sense, right? It's nice and neat. It's logical makes sense to us, but we saw from Scripture that only those who place their trust in Jesus Christ go to heaven. So there are a lot of good people out there that if they don't have their trust in Jesus Christ, they're not going to heaven. Conversely, in week three, we talked about how uh, uh, the, the myth of bad people go to hell. And because Scripture is clear that only those who put their trust in Jesus Christ, will go to heaven. There are a lot of bad people out there who have put their trust and their faith in Jesus Christ, and so they are going to heaven. Now, last week we talked about, we had a, uh, the myth, we become angels when we die, and we discovered that according to Scripture, what happens is, is that at the end of days when, when we go to heaven, that place that's described in the last couple chapters of Revelation, that we are... We go to heaven in our glorified forms, just like Jesus, and we'll talk about this in a moment, just like Jesus came back to this earth in his glorified forms, we will have these perfect bodies when we get to heaven. But scripture doesn't mention anything or even come close to any mention of the fact that we become angels when we die. That's just a myth that we've made up, and so we decided that that one was busted. Well, today's myth is this. It's my heaven will be what I imagine it to be. My heaven will be what I imagine it to be. Now, intrinsic kind of in that myth, we have to ask several questions. And the driving force, kind of the driving theme of today's message is what will we do when we get to heaven? What are the things that will be taking up our, our time for those of you who have asked Jesus to be your Savior, who have put your trust in Jesus? 
What will it be like when you get to heaven? What will you do with your time? Who's there? What kind of things will you experience? It's interesting. I think that sometimes the idea that heaven is boring, that we just go to this place and exist in the clouds, is something that can really actually be very fearful in terms of death. Some people fear death because they have a view that heaven is boring. There is a famous science fiction writer named Isaac Asimov. He writes this, I don't believe in an afterlife, so I don't have to spend my whole life fearing hell or fearing heaven even more. For whatever the tortures of hell, I think the boredom of heaven would be far worse. So we can't let this idea that we have that heaven is going to be a boring, mundane place be our view of heaven. And so I want to take a look at this myth today. If you have your notes, you can get them out. Uh, for some of you who don't like paper, you can get on our free Wi-Fi, uh, and you can actually download the notes from our website, and uh, you can join in. I want to encourage you to be a part of uh, those notes and, and taking a look at those different scriptures that we look at. Let's approach this by asking several different questions. I want to ask four questions today that will help us understand what we will do in heaven. Now, my disclaimer on this is, is this. Um, a lot of what I'm going to talk about today uh, may seem to bounce around. It may seem like we're bouncing around, and that may be the case a little bit today. But in answering this myth, I'm kind of using today as a bit of a catch-all to answer some of your most common questions about heaven. And we got that through some different polling we did, and we got that through some different polling that we looked at and that sort of thing. So today, if it seems a bit random, we're going to be using it a bit of a catch-all to answer some of the most common questions about what we're going to do and who we're going to see in heaven and that sort of thing. I want to encourage you to be back next week because next week, next week is so incredibly applicable to the life of the Christ follower. You won't believe it to end our series out. Let's take a look at the notes this morning. First question that we want to ask is, what will we do in heaven? What will we do in heaven? Well, John in the book of Revelation that I just talked about actually addresses this a little bit, and he does it in several different passages. I picked a passage in Revelation 5, 11 through 13, that gives us the idea that we will be worshiping God through both verbal praise and music. We're going to be worshiping God in heaven. Look what John writes in Revelation 5, 11 through 13. He says this, Then I looked, and I heard around the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads of thousands and thousands. Verse 12, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain, the Lamb is Jesus, by the way, there, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature, verse 13, in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and glory and might forever. And ever. Now, because John says there every creature, that includes those of you who have put your trust in Jesus Christ. On that time that you die, you will go to heaven. And what you will be doing in heaven is you will be worshiping the Lamb that was slain. 
Now, I realize that some of you, when you hear that, you're like, that's awesome. I love going to the passion, you know, movement. I, I love going to Christian concerts and worshiping God. I come in here to church. I, I love, like, you know, getting my worship on. And I, I'm the guy that, like, you know, is in the car, and I'm just, I'm, I'm singing at the top of my lungs, and people are driving by going, what's a crazy guy there? Like, I, some of you love this idea, don't you, who love worshiping, don't you? I mean, you sing in your car just as loud as you do here. On Sunday morning, some of you love the idea of worshiping. And when you get to heaven, you'll get to spend eternity doing that thing that you love. Some of you are just the opposite. It doesn't make you less godly or less spiritual, but, you know, you give God praise other ways. Or at least that's how you justify it. And that's okay. That's cool. Um, I want you to know this. Whether you enjoy singing, whether you enjoy giving God praise and glory and worship here on this earth, it doesn't matter because if you are a Christ follower, if you've put your trust in Jesus, when you get to heaven one day, you will love to worship the lamb that was slain. It'll bring you a great amount of joy to give God praise and glory. And so you'll spend your eternity, you'll spend your time giving praise and glory to God through words and through music. But that's not all. That's not the only thing I believe that we do when we're in heaven. I believe that each of us, those of us who call ourselves Christ followers, who have put our faith in Jesus, I believe each of us have a job to do in heaven. Oh, man, and a lot of you are like, I did not want to hear that. I do not want to work when I go to heaven. Come on, Todd, you're messing this whole thing up for me. You have a job in heaven. It's part of what Scripture says. But I want you to hear this, and we'll talk about the job and serving God in heaven. It will bring you joy to do your job. Yes, I just said that. It'll bring you joy to do your job. You will love serving in heaven here's the reason why is because god is in heaven his presence alone will bring you great joy it won't matter what you're doing take a look at what the psalmist said in psalm 1611 he said this you may you make known to me the path of life and he says in your presence there is fullness of what joy I want you to say it again. That was a little weak. The earlier service did better, okay? In your presence, there is fullness of what? Joy. Joy. All right. You guys are on the same page. Everybody just woke up there. And he says, and at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. So you will be serving God. You will be, and I'll talk about that in a moment. You'll be working for him. Yes, you'll have to work, but you'll be working for him. But it won't matter. You will receive extreme extreme pleasure from doing the job that you're gifted to do for God in heaven. We all will have a role of worshiping and serving God that's unique to us. Randy Alcorn in his book on heaven says that because there's a correlation between earth and heaven, because there's a correlation there, because we exist in our glorified bodies when we get to heaven, because God will create a new heaven and a new earth, that there's a correlation. And so he says that some of you, some of you will maybe do some of the same things that you do in your current job or maybe your current ministry, 
And some of you will have the same type of talents. You'll just be focusing them on serving God the Father. Each one of you, each one of you will have great joy and have great pleasure, yes, in work. Take a look at the next point here. You, you could call your service for God um, uh, uh, something of, of a joy that you receive. In Revelation 7.15, I want you to capture this. John says, therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night. That's talking about us. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Revelation 22.3, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. We will worship him through music, we'll worship him through word, but we will be worshiping God through serving him. There's this idea that when we get to heaven, that there's somewhat of a a commerce, somewhat of an exchange, God His presence is going to bring us so much joy, and we will bring him honor and glory and praise, not only through our words and not only through our music, but through the things that we serve him. And we will be completely content and completely fulfilled. As much as we're not content and fulfilled here on this earth in our jobs, we will be that way in heaven. We'll be completely fulfilled in our roles in heaven. So that's what we're going to do in heaven. We'll be worshiping God. We'll be giving him glory and honor with everything that we do. His presence alone will bring us joy to its max. Well, the next question, and kind of it drives at this, what we're talking about today, what will we do in heaven? The second question is, who will we see in heaven that we knew on earth? Well, we will see Christians that we knew on earth who have already died. We will see Christians who we knew on earth who have already died. The Apostle Paul addresses what we will know in heaven in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Listen to what he says. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then, he's talking about in heaven, face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall be fully, be known fully, even as I have been fully known. You see, in heaven, anything that's foggy will become clear in heaven. And so the people that we may have gone on before us, who have died before us, who are Christ followers, we will see them and we will know them in heaven. In fact, I believe that once we get to heaven, that we as a family of God, and we'll talk about that more in a moment, we will know each other. Even those people that we don't know here on earth who are Christ followers, there will be a family experience and everything that is foggy, everything that is not clear on earth will be known in heaven, will be fully known to those around us. Paul here uses a picture of the mirror because in the church, uh, in Corinth there, Corinth was known for a lot of things. Not many of them were great, but one of the things that Corinth was known for is that there were a lot of walls in the interior of rooms that had what we would call a mirror today. And in many cases, the, the mirrors of that day and age, they didn't look like the mirrors that we would look at. It would be a hazy, kind of fuzzy reflection of who we are. And he uses this analogy, and he says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face we will be known in full. It will be a perfect reflection of who we are. And so we will know other Christ followers who are in heaven, those who we did know on earth, and even those who we didn't know on earth. Who will we see in heaven? We'll see other Christ followers who have died before us. 
one of the number one questions about heaven. In fact, the number one question that people have in a recent survey about heaven is not about people, but it's about pets. <laughs> we, as humans, are less concerned about seeing other humans in heaven. We're more concerned about seeing our pets, okay? Because our concern about other people was actually not first. It was pets were first, okay? So I'm addressing this today because it's on your mind. It's something that you're concerned about. I've had pets. I had Muffin. Go ahead and laugh. My dog's name was Muffin growing up. You can laugh. That's fine. My sister named him. I'm taking no credit for that. Well, in, when I was in college, Muffin passed on. Last year, we had Watson, who was our family dog for a long time, and he passed away uh, last year, about a year and a half ago, named for the greatest golfer, I believe, Tom Watson. But anyway, so I've had Muffin and Watson who have gone on before me. Great friends, right? Canine friends. And some of you have had pets that are nearly like loved ones, aren't they? They've gone on before you. Are they going to be in heaven? Well, I want to go ahead and summarize that by saying this. It's kind of a myth within a myth. The belief that our pets who have died will be in heaven is plausible. It's plausible. Scripture doesn't specifically address it, but it doesn't specifically deny it. It's an unimportant issue in the big scheme of things, but I realize that so many of you, it's very meaningful. And so because Scripture doesn't address it in yes or no, we can render it plausible. Will our pets be in heaven? Will Max? Will Rover? Will Muffin be in heaven? Possibly. But I want you to hear this. Please don't miss this. When we get to heaven, whether our pets are there or not, it won't matter because our whole essence changes. Everything that we are changes. We will be there for the purpose of giving God glory forever. So whether they're there or whether they're not there, in the big scheme of things, it won't really matter. It is plausible, but it won't really matter. Take a look at question number three. I want to dive a little more deeply into the human relationships and what we're going to be doing in heaven. What earthly relationships and what activities will be a part of heaven? Second to whether dogs are in heaven or whether people that we knew who have died before, like my grandfather who was a Christian who died in May of this year, whether they're in heaven, is this idea of what activities will we be involved with and what will marriage be like in heaven. And so I want to address a couple of these things in point number three. The first thing I want to hit is very close to my heart, and it's this. I believe that we will desire food in our new bodies. I don't know about you, but I am glad for that. I love food. Who else loves food? Be honest, okay? I love food, and I'm glad that I believe in heaven. We will enjoy food in heaven one day. Is it a major issue? No, it's not a major issue. But you know what? You all are asking it, so I'm going to address it. We will love food. I want to draw, I want to, uh, draw your attention to a passage in Scripture. It's a very, very fun passage in Scripture. Jesus has just died on the cross He's gone to be with the Father in heaven, and he comes back to visit his followers in his glorified form. So Jesus comes back in the representation of his glorified form, and, and it's, a, it's a picture of what we will be like in heaven. But he comes back to earth, and he appears to his disciples. Now, we have this picture in mind that he's 
you know, with 12 disciples, and he did have the 12 disciples, but there were hundreds of people that followed him. And so the Bible says that when he came back to earth, he actually addressed a lot of those people. What we see here, Luke has recorded one of the first times they see him. Now, remember, the last time they saw him, he was being taken down lifeless on a cross. He had blood, I'm sure, all over his body. His body, his flesh was probably pretty bruised and beaten and that sort of thing. That was the last time they saw him. And then all of a sudden, he shows up in his glorified form because he can, because he's all God. And he shows up. And take a look at what happens in Luke 24, 41. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, does anyone have some food? I love that picture. Like they're just consumed with, oh, there he is. You know, he's, he's in his perfected form. I'm sure there was a radiance that was coming from him. I'm sure it was amazing to them. And they were focused on the fact that there he was. And what did he ask? Does anyone have some food? Have you anything to eat? I love that. That's funny. That's great. Like, hey, guys, you have anything to eat? And so I believe that we will at least have the opportunity to have food. Not because we will need it. Not because we'll need it. We won't have any more needs. But because I believe it's one of the pleasures that we have on earth. And there's a correlation between earth and heaven. And so I believe that when we get to heaven one day, that it's at least plausible that we will have food and that we will enjoy food. What, what about our closest relationships? We've already established that we'll know people who are with us on earth, who chose to became, uh, become Christians to put their trust in Jesus Christ. But what about our closest relationships? Well, this was one of the top questions that was asked on a, on a, a survey that we did. And I want to address this. Marriage on earth will not have the same form as marriage in heaven. Marriage on earth will not have the same form. Please listen to the way that I worded that. Marriage on earth will not have the same form as marriage in heaven. Primarily, we get that from a passage where Jesus was confronted by the religious leaders. And they were trying to trick him into being a hypocrite or trying to trick him into saying something different than he had said before about marriage in heaven. And look how he responds. I want you to take a look at this in Matthew 22, verse 30. For in the resurrection, they neither marry, these are Jesus' words, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. I want you to notice that Jesus isn't saying that your marriage to your husband and wife doesn't exist in heaven. What he is saying, what he's leading us to, is that while important on earth, in heaven, there's going to be a different marriage. John speaks of this in Revelation, the marriage of the Lamb. You see, when we get to heaven, there's going to be a marriage between all of us who call ourselves Christ followers and Jesus, the Lamb of God. So when we get to heaven, it's not that our marriages here on earth will no longer exist, but it just won't matter anymore because we are going to be one family now for some of you that causes great pain for others <laughs> it causes great joy okay i mean let's just face it that's what it is we will have a different relationship randy alcorn in his book says does that mean that when my wife gets to heaven and i get to heaven that we won't know each other no 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 
He goes, I believe that we'll see each other, and I believe that we'll have all the good memories, all the good memories of being married. We won't have any of the bad memories of the struggles, of the tension, of the fight, because everything in heaven will be perfect because God is there. But our marriage will be different. Our marriage is going to be between all of us and Jesus Christ. We will all be one heavenly family. It's interesting because Paul addresses this, and he talks about the fact that our marriages, and some of you may be asking, well, then what's the point of being married in God's eyes? Our marriages here on earth is a representation. It's that next point. God created marriage on earth to be a physical representation of our marriage to the Lamb in heaven. God created marriage on earth to be a physical representation of our marriage to the Lamb in heaven. You see, we as married couples, as Christian married couples, those of you who are Christ followers and you're both your Christ followers, you, your marriage is a picture, it's a representation of what God's relationship with the church is. I, I don't know about you, but that's terribly convicting, isn't it? That's terribly convicting. Does that mean we have to be perfect in our marriages? My goodness, no. That's where Jesus' grace comes in. But it does mean that we ought to take them seriously. Paul, the Apostle Paul, spoke of this in Ephesians 5, 23 through 32. It's a passage that I use in premarital counseling when people are getting ready to get uh, married. But Paul wasn't speaking of marriage. He was speaking of the relationship with us and Jesus. And he used marriage to illustrate what that relationship should be like. Let's read this. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Remember, he's talking about Christ in the church here. His body and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she may be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Do you see there? He's talking about Christ and the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying, Paul says, that it refers to Christ and the church. That is a heavy burden for those of you who are Christ followers to know that your marriage should be a reflection of Christ and the church. Man, it's not always easy to love. That's what he talks about. Which this isn't a message on marriage, so I'm not going in depth. But men, it begins with us loving our wives as Christ loved the church. You know what he did for the church? He died the church. That's a high calling. That's a high calling. And anytime we, as men, stop loving our wives, we're stop, stop giving honor to that relationship between Christ and the church. Our marriages are supposed to be a reflection of that relationship between Christ and the church. So my question to you today is, is that always the case? Is that always the case? I must admit, in my marriage, 
in terms of what I'm in control of, it's not always the case. And that's very convicting that we ought to live in our marriages as if it is just like Christ loving the church. So while our marriages are not going to exist as they did when we were on earth, what of sex? And I'll hit this briefly, okay, because I know there are kids, and I know some of you will email me. You can go ahead and just send your email to Cody, our student pastor, on this one. Okay. (laughs) Since God created humans as sexual beings, it is at least plausible that there will be sex in heaven. But you know, our time here on earth, our society, our culture has twisted sex so much because of sin and because of selfishness. And I want you to hear this today. If it is true that it exists, it doesn't exist for procreation in heaven. But if it exists in heaven, it will be in its perfect form to give God the glory because there will be no selfishness and no sin in heaven. You see, everything that we do in heaven, everything that we do in heaven will be to glorify God who is with us and will be in his presence. Last point. It is plausible that many of the things that we enjoy on this earth, we also will enjoy in heaven. It is plausible that many of the things that we've talked about that we enjoy on this earth, we will also enjoy in heaven. My best friend, a guy named Brian, he was in town last week, kind of surprised us coming in town. I taught him how to play golf when I was a sophomore in college. You all know, you've heard this a time or two for me, that one of my favorite things to do is play golf. Well, I taught Brian how to play golf, and he took it and ran with it. I mean, the guy is a nine handicap. He came in town last week, and we played golf, and he whooped me. Uh, he is a member of a club. He lives, eats, and breathes golf. He loves a game of golf. He said that his number one question about heaven is, will there be golf in heaven? And I know that some of you have similar questions. Think of your favorite thing that you like to do here on earth. Will that be in heaven? It's plausible because there's a correlation between this earth and that heaven. Even if it's in its new perfected form and even if our bodies will be in its glorified form, as long as there's no sin and as long as there's no selfishness and as long as there's nothing, nothing filthy, then whatever I believe, then whatever we enjoy here, we'll enjoy in heaven, but we'll do it for a different reason. We'll do it to bring God glory. We will do whatever we do in heaven to bring God glory. So what of our myth? Question number four. Will heaven be what I imagine it to be? In some ways, yes. And in some ways, no. So I think we have to say that this myth is at least plausible. I can't imagine that the God of heaven and earth, who is so creative, will not allow heaven to be a creative place as well. And I would imagine that there is at least some of what we think and some of what we dream of that could exist in heaven. So I think we have to say that this myth is at least plausible. But, but, please don't miss this. This is the last point. We have a specific purpose in heaven to worship and praise the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, for all eternity. And so whatever it is, whatever the relationship is that we have with others, whatever job, whatever service that you are doing for God in heaven, whatever that thing is that maybe you imagine that heaven will be like, if it's plausible and it does exist, it'll exist to give him glory and worship. Take a look at the final thought, your key thought here. 
Because our sole purpose will be worshiping God and His Son, Jesus, all our desires will be fulfilled by just being with God and worshiping Him forever. Because our sole purpose will be worshiping God and His Son, Jesus, all our desires will be fulfilled by just being with God and worshiping Him forever. Here's the hard part. We have a hard time imagining what heaven will be like because our focus is so much on ourselves here on this earth, isn't it? So much of what we do, so much of what we think about, so much of what we try to gain and what we try to fulfill ourselves with is because we think of ourselves as citizens of this earth, as owners of us, and it's very selfish. I love how Paul summed this thought up in Philippians 3, and this is what I want to close with today. Verses 20 through 21, he says this, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. I want you to capture this this morning. You who put your trust in Jesus you're already a citizen of heaven. So my challenge to you this morning is begin on this side of heaven. Begin on this side of heaven to have all your relationships, even the job that you do, that job that you don't want to go to tomorrow morning because there's so much conflict and so much pain. Do everything that you can in your relationships, in your strengths, in your weaknesses, in your day-to-day lives, to give glory and honor to him because that's what we'll be doing in heaven. Let's go ahead and get a head start while we're here on earth. Would you close your eyes with me for a moment? I want to ask you to do something. I want you to, I want you to think about that time, that moment in time, when you gave your life to Christ, if you're a Christ follower in here. Think about maybe the place that comes to mind. It might be a church. It might be at home. It might have been on some retreat somewhere at a campground. I want you to picture in your mind that moment in time that you said yes to Jesus. For some of you, you know the exact date and time. For others, you don't. For others, it's specific. And for some, it's general. But I want you to think about that moment that you gave up your trust and you accepted Jesus as your Savior. At that moment, you became a citizen of heaven. Your move-in date is a ways away. Maybe months, maybe years, maybe decades away. But in that moment in time, you said yes to Jesus, you became a citizen of heaven. My challenge to you today is to begin doing those things that you're going to do in heaven. Begin to worship God with everything you are. Begin to do it in every aspect of your life, because that's what you're going to be doing for eternity in heaven. Oh, Father God, thank you so much for the hope of heaven. Thank you that at the moment we accepted you as our Savior. We became citizens of heaven. It doesn't even happen when we get there. It happened when we accepted you as our Savior. And Father God, I pray that you would help us to be focused on giving you glory with every aspect 
of our lives. Father, we can't wait to get there and to see you. And God, there's so much about heaven that we don't know, that we don't understand. Our minds are finite. They're limited. But God, there's a day when we're going to be in your presence. And we can't imagine what that's going to be like. It's going to be so great to see your face and to be in your presence. Help us, Father, to live with that in mind. In Jesus' name I pray.
Only a man.